You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. God's seven what ingredients for marriage and given the fact that we have been talking about God's instruction to us particularly in the word of God around everything in our lives I encouraged you in these last few weeks as we're still in the middle of a a sermon series that we've been in probably the majority of the year called learning to love amen and as part of this learning to love we've explored the relationship of marriage and husbands and wives and so the last time we were together, we finished up talking about God's purposes for marriage. Amen. As a matter of fact, as part of our time as in our couples ministry yesterday, we had a great time of uh, fellowship and uh, had a pop quiz. Amen. About God's purposes for marriage. And I'm happy to say that the class passed. Amen. The class passed. They were able to get to their notes and find things. There was some scrambling, but there was all of the blanks got filled in. Amen. Amen. Everybody, everybody filled in the blanks. And so God's purposes for marriage were what we're talking about most recently. But now I want to talk about God's ingredients for marriage. And there are really seven that I want to emphasize. I'm sure uh, as you as you think about uh, the recipe of marriage, that there could be many other things that you can fold in. Matter of fact, we encouraged uh, the, the couples last night. There were more ingredients that that were kind of summarized in this uh, in this uh, poetic uh, kind of recipe for forever that we passed out and there were other ingredients, but I want to distill our conversation around these seven. Three of them will sound very familiar with you and we'll give them a lighter treatment because we've just talked about them most recently over the last couple of months. Amen. But when, when you talk about uh, ingredients, let's, let's realize that God has a recipe. And as I've encouraged you, there's only one way to do things. It's one way God's way. Amen. God lays out a recipe for our lives in every area of our lives. And he has left us a very comprehensive recipe book. Amen. This is a guidebook. Many people think this is a rule book. It's not a rule book. It's a it's a guidebook. It's a guidebook. And it it it, uh, encapsulates and contains all kinds of recipes for living. There are patterns, there are precepts, there are promises, amen, in the word of God. In every situation that we find ourselves in in light, we can look to the word of God to give us guidance and give us direction. And we can say, how does God want me to do what I have in front of me as I look over the landscape, as I need to make adjustments? What is the recipe that God has for me? And Romans 15 and 4 would tell us that the thing Things that are written aforetime are written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Amen. That's a great summary, if you will, Romans 15 and 4 of what what we're supposed to be gleaning from this this recipe book. And just like uh, the other institutions uh, and relationships that God has established, husbands and wives, parents and children, uh, pastors and, and, and members, and, and how we are to engage with one another in the family, in the immediate family, in extended family, in the original family, in the community, at work. God, God has answers for us and guidance around all of those things if we simply follow the recipe. 
you and I always get in trouble when we change the recipe. Amen. When we change cooking times, when we substitute ingredients, when we substitute our wisdom for the wisdom of the one who said, if you just follow these directions, you should be straight. You should be. And the great thing is, if some kind of way in the in the implementation of a particular recipe, if you have access to the chef, you can ask, now, what did I do wrong here? I guess I don't really know how to whisk properly. I don't know how to fold. Maybe there might be some there might be some things that in, in terms of how you implement the recipe that could be more difficult. Matter of fact, as I looked at a couple of these websites, including I think it was Epicurious.com. They'll tell you, uh, they'll give you a rating too. Is this a tough recipe or is this an easy recipe? It's like, hey, it's tough. And how many people repeated the recipe? And you can kind of get a, a idea of, is this something I can do quickly? Is this something I can do fast? Is this something that I didn't really think about? Do I have the ingredients right in front of me? Or do I need to go out and get special ingredients that I don't have in my refrigerator? And do I need special equipment do I have to purchase in order to execute it? But they tell you everything you need in order to be able to execute against the recipe. God does the same thing. He has a recipe for marriage. We talked about the purposes. Today we're going going to talk about the ingredients and the next time we're together lord willing we'll be able to talk about the goals but the first ingredient for marriage and let and let me just say this and 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 put a put a pin around this for later every recipe that i have seen for baking for the most part every recipe particularly when you talk about baking a cake you can talk about bread or pastries as well, but every recipe in particular that I see when they're talking about baking a cake, the basic ingredients always seem to be flour, butter, milk slash cream, baking soda, sugar, eggs, and salt. Okay? I just want you to, I just want you to know every recipe I'm previewing something for you. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that someplace with you, okay? But every recipe has flour and butter, milk and cream, baking soda, sugar, eggs, and salt. So just remember that, okay? The first ingredient for marriage we've already talked about over these last weeks. And so if you weren't here, uh, I, p- I apologize. We're, we're not going to give it short shrift, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it's very important. God's ingredient for marriage, one of the primary ones, is equality. Equality is in is an ingredient for marriage and God created mankind in his own image. That's right from the text that we read into your, that we read together in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Amen. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Neither is there male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Galatians three and 28 reminds us of. Amen. And so as part of what God is doing in marriage, he establishes that there's equality. That's not even an issue with God, that men and women are equal before God. Both were created in God's image, that women are not second class citizens when it comes to equality before the God we serve. Amen. 
Husbands, in the same way, be considerate of your the lives of your wives and treat them with respect so that none, none of your prayers will be hindered. Again, it's like you need to put your wife on a, a on a on a pedestal, if you will, just understanding who she is. And it says you have to dwell with them according to knowledge. Again, understanding your wife and treating your wife in such a way where you understand how precious she is as a partner and a help suitable for you. Amen. And we don't 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 take that word helpmate as we talked about before as some kind of low position. We're not talking about Octavia Spencer and in, in, in the help. We're not talking about that kind of help. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of help. We're talking about the help that you see in Hebrews chapter thirteen, when you says when it talks about the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man will do unto me. We're talking about the kind of help when it says I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from God that made it he- heaven and earth. So again, help is 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 is, is somebody who. And God in his original design looked at man and says, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make him a help suitable. I, God was trying to do something. He says, I need them to be together so that they understand that they have an equal footing in this thing called marriage. But even in even with equality, there's something that God has also established called priority. Priority is an ingredient in marriage. We talked about that ingredient as well. First Timothy 2 and 13. I'm going to move a little quickly. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. First, first Corinthians 11 says uh, man should not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. At least originally she came from uh, his his side. Amen. Uh, first Corinthians 11, nine said, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So again, you see a pattern, you see some things established as you read scripture, that there are really five things that establish the priority. This is the way God wants it. Okay. God said, I'm going to give priority into this relation in this relationship to the husband. I'm going to give priority to the man in the relationship. And we see that. And that bears out because that priority is established because a woman was created after a man from the man for the man brought to the man and named by the man. That's that's five very compelling things that are just biblically factual created after the man for the man from the man brought to the man. And then last but not least, named by the man. And you always get the opportunity to name what you will be responsible for. That's why you name your children. Amen. That's why you get that opportunity when you're in the hospital to say, who, who's, who's responsible for this child? Who's these child's parent? And what is that child's name? Amen. So again, that that establishes that there is equality. There's also priority. Here's the one where it starts to get more quiet in the church. This is where I could possibly get what I describe as the stink eye. Don't shoot the messenger, though. OK, I'm just telling you what God told me. I don't have to hide behind the pulpit. I can stand here, but don't throw anything at me when I tell you that God has designed marriage not to only have equality as an ingredient, but priority as an ingredient, but authority as an as a ingredient. We talked about that as well. There's a headship and there's a leadership that God has uh, given to, to men based on their priority. That's that's that is found and, and based upon representation about about response and relationship. Let's just walk through that. It's just, just three very, very clear 
reasons. It's based upon what? I said representation. If you look at first uh, Corinthians 15, 14, uh, 45 through 49, it talks about. So the first man became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. As there was an earthly man, there is now a man from heaven. And just as we were born in the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So there was a first Adam who was truly Adam. Who's the last Adam? The last Adam is Jesus Christ. The first Adam is represents all of humanity. All of us are in Adam. Amen. He was the first man. It's based upon representation. There's a pattern that God has. There's a first Adam. He's natural. The last Adam, who's Jesus Christ, is spiritual. The first Adam messed up. And whatever he messed up, the last Adam restores. There's a representation. There's a pattern that God is showing us. And so the, the authority that, that men have, that husbands have in a relationship with marriage is based upon representation. It's also based upon response because when it went bad, God said, Adam, where are you? He called him first because Adam was the one to whom he gave the instruction. That's where the responsibility and accountability was. And he said, Adam, where are you? And the last but not least, I said it's it's based upon relationship. Again, as you think about that purpose of marriage, when you talk about that picture of Christ and the church, if we're, if we're supposed to reflect that picture, it makes sense. Christ and the church, you see that relationship is a relationship of headship and submission. Amen. And so we talked about that equality, priority, authority are key ingredients in marriage. And those three ingredients in particular reveal the pattern of how God relates to himself. And so if you think that you can't have a relationship where there is equality, priority, and authority, then you are not looking at how God relates to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and those three are one. Nobody has ever questioned whether the Holy Spirit is God. Equality exists in that relationship. The priority has, right now, the priority rests Right now it rests with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the comforter that was to come. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter and he will guide and convict and counsel and do all these things for you. The Holy Spirit has priority right now as we are in the body of Christ and we look to the Holy Spirit for absolutely everything. He is the glue in the relationship. The priority was with Jesus when he was on earth because he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord but to the glory of God the Father because the God the Father has the authority God the Father is the one that sent Jesus his son God the Father is the one that sent the spirit and the, the scripture also says in John that Jesus would send the spirit so again everything flows from the Father equality priority and authority exist in the relationship with God and if you want to modify beloved part of that recipe you're really saying to God I don't like how you've revealed yourself to be just know that's the implication theologically when you practice marriage if you don't have all three of those ingredients and now we'll get to why did I talk about flour and butter and milk and sugar and eggs and salt because you would think that why 
if you're talking about trying to make something sweet, a pastry or something that's baked or some kind of cake, why would you need salt? It doesn't make any sense. And you can very well say, you know what, and you substitute your wisdom, you'll say, you know what, I don't think we need any salt in this recipe. I don't think we need any priority in this recipe. I don't think we need any authority in this relationship. Because that's like having salt in my sweet dessert. Okay, well, let me tell you something about salt. Salt plays a crucial role in the chemistry of a recipe. In bread baking, salt controls yeast growth and has a strengthening effect on the gluten in the dough. In pastry making, it helps cut the oily mouthfeel of buttery doughs and encourages browning while baking. Amen. But mostly, salt is about making things more delicious. It's the key to waking up flavors. Come on, somebody. Creating balance and making desserts totally crave-worthy. Its presence perks up the depth and the complexity of the other flavors as the ingredients meld. Salt also provides a balance to the sweetness of cake batters. But... A salty flavor should not be discernible. Y'all know where I'm going with this? Salt is a part. It's an important part of it. You don't understand or may not understand. But if you take that salt out, you're losing some things in the chemistry. You're losing some things in the explosion of the flavors. You're losing some things in terms of what it's doing in terms. If you don't have salt, your cake will be, as I've read a couple of times, it will taste a little flat. And you won't exactly know why, but you take that ingredient out, that very key ingredient, and you just concentrate on the flour and the butter and the milk and the sugar and the eggs, which makes sense to you. You take that salt out, your cake will be flat. It will not be as delicious as it was designed to be. But you'll ruin your cake if I can taste that salt. And so, man of God, if you're serving up a cake, and trust me, the thing is, it's you all's cake together. You're not just feeding it to her. you got to eat that yourself. How many times have you made something where you didn't pay attention to the, the proportion and the salt and you just winged it? And it, and I don't care if it's supposed to be sugary or it's supposed to be sweet or it's supposed to be spicy or whatever. If all you taste is salt, you will literally put your spoon or your fork down and you'll just push it back and say, that's just too salty. You got to be careful with salt. You got to be careful in the implementation of priority and authority as an ingredient in marriage. You should, your wife should not be able to taste your leadership so that she assumes that it's just salty. You got to blend that priority and authority into that recipe in such a way that she tastes and you taste all of the other flavors that God is trying to emphasize. It's supposed to blend in. It's not supposed to dominate the recipe. It's a crucial part of the recipe because it reveals the pattern, the spiritual reality of who God is, but you should not be able to taste it. And if you know how to cook, you do not serve 
salty dishes to people. Forks down. It's salty. It's too salty. Ah. You know when you've done it because you taste it yourself and it's like, doggone, I put too much salt in this. Y'all with me? So you got equality and you got priority and you got authority. And I'm telling you that authority and priority better not be too salty. Because what will happen is you look up and everybody had a fork down. So you need to start over with that. So if you're walking around your house with your knuckles dragging like some kind of caveman talking about the authority and the headship you have in your house, well you, you, you go ahead with that. You serving up a salty, you serving up something salty if you're not backing it up with all of the other ingredients. If you don't understand what it means to love compassionately, if you don't know what it means to love in a compensating manner, if you don't know what it means to present your wife to yourself without spot or wrinkle, like Ephesians 5 says, if you don't know how to love, then you don't, you, you're going to end up with your authority and priority. You're going to end up serving up something salty. So emphasize the love. Why? Because Ephesians 5 says, according to the Apostle Paul, that was the problem that we've had. So we need to reverse the curse by husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's real leadership. That's real authority. And it does not taste salty when it's served. The fourth thing. Unity. Unity. It's a key ingredient. And again, unity is, is present in the in the relationship God has with himself for sure. But unity is a key, key, key ingredient. In John 17 and verse 20, Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also that those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you and me, you are just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given, I have given them the glory that you gave me. They may be one because we are one. I, I in them, you in me so that they may be brought together to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even, loved them even as you have loved me. Unity was what Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer in John 17 emphasized. He emphasized really, he says, I want you to be able to, to, to glorify and sanctify and fortify, unify. So we're just pulling out that one that says in that high priestly prayer in John 17. But he says, I need them to have unity because we have what? Unity. I need them to have unity. In Philippians chapter 2, it really talks about uh, in verses one and two familiar passage of scripture. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being what? Like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. That's Philippians chapter two. You can actually look at Philippians and look at all four chapters and say there's an emphasis in chapter one of a unity and position in chapter two, a unity of purpose in chapter three, a unity of pattern in chapter four, a unity of perspective. That's how important unity is. It is a key ingredient in the body of Christ and 
and it's a key ingredient in the relationship that G- that God enjoys amongst himself. And it is a key ingredient in marriage. You better be on the same page and that page better be God's page. My very good friend, Pastor Kenny Grant, used to be a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. And he said when he would would drill them in this in this marching, you know, you could think you, you you're emphasizing in order to stay on pace, you're looking at the man right in front of you. And if you can get those footsteps right when you're marching, you should be good. But he says, as important as that is, if they're all on the same page, but they're not on my page, they're still off. We got to sync this up. And he said, don't forget, you got to sync up with me. That's what God is saying. Sync this up, get on the same page. But then more importantly, you be on the same page with me because you all could be in agreement about something that does not please God at all. And that unity is worthless. Amen. That unity needs Jesus is praying for your unity so that you may improve your walk in this world. And your walk only comes when you are walking in lockstep with him. Unity. Key ingredient. Charity is the fifth ingredient. Charity. Another word for charity is what? Love. Another word for charity is love. But love does not end in T-Y, so I could not use it. You see, I'm, see, I'm doing something here. So, you know, you got equality, priority, authority, unity, love. No. Charity. Now, I can try to pretend like, you know, I'm just trying to be all old school and King James. I need a T.Y. Charity. Charity. Everything flows a little better with some love mixed in. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, we've, we've we kind of casually refer to it that you can see the power of love and the practice of love and the priority of love. And we're talking about what kind of love we're talking about agape love. Amen. Agape love, which as we've learned over these last weeks and months when we've talked about agape love, selfless and sacrificial, sustaining and satisfying, serving and safe. That is the love that God expresses for us. And he expects expects us to express that love to him. That's the standard. And with one another, you got to step up your love game. Everything flows better. Everything tastes better when you have a liberal serving of Love. You literally cannot in your recipe put too much love in. Amen. You can put too much authority in it. It'll end up salty in our example. But love, you, you can, you, whatever, the, whatever the recipe calls for, the recipe calls for that to just be as much as needed. Put more in. You think you, to, uh, uh, you know, season to taste is what they'll tell you. It's like you, you, you need more of that, more of that, more of that. You can't have enough love. And does that exist in the relationship that God has in himself? It sure does because in John 14 and, and, and 31, Jesus, Jesus declares, let me just find it cause I didn't write it down. I know I forgot to, to put that one down, but you see that Jesus has expressed love for the Father. He says in John 14 and 31, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. 
I love the father. And, you know, in Matthew 17 and five at the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Amen. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So again, as God has revealed that there is a love relationship within the Trinity, he says, I want you to duplicate that love relationship and husbands in particular. I need you to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That selfless, sacrificial love that we talk about. And you see in 1 Corinthians 13, those first three verses, I believe, show you the power of love. And then 4 through 7, I believe, show you the practice of love. And then the final verses remind us of the priority of love. And then these last two kind of go together. They go together like salt and pepper, like potato chips and hot sauce green eggs and ham, whatever you want to do in in terms of how you combo things up. But six and seven, I'll really even, I'll even deal with them together. Responsibility. And as a result of responsibility, you always have what? Accountability. Especially if you're dealing with God, God does not give you something that he asks you to be responsible for and then doesn't hold you accountable for what he has given you. That's 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 straight Luke chapter 19. That's the 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 the, the steward who who gave that money to account uh, for to his servants and he gave them each a, a Daenerys. And what did he say? Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. And then when he got back, he said, I want to know what every man has gained by trading. And so there was the one servant that turned the one into 10. And he said, good job. Well done. Enter, you know, you did a good job. Now you have uh, authority over 10 cities. And another one came and he, he turned the one into five. And he said, great. You have, you did a good job. Have authority over five cities. And the one that came with the church talk that talked about, I only got the one. I hid it in a napkin and I buried it because I knew you were a hard man and that you that you reap where you don't sow and all these other kind of things and he said you wicked servant you should have at least put my money in the what in the bank so i could have got some interest doggone it all you did was give me back what i gave you i'm looking for you to multiply things there's an accountability that's there the responsibility we have we've talked about it over these last weeks the core role of a husband and there's a core role of a wife there's a core role of a husband is what servant leadership the core role of the wife is what help and then there's a core response. The core response to a husband's leadership from the wife is submission. And the core response to a, a wife's help is praise. Amen. And you really see that in Proverbs 31. So we talked about that, that core role, essential function that God has given to an individual to fulfill in a particular relationship. He has given responsibility that ties into the purposes of marriage, that it is what? It talks about it being a partnership and that it recognizes spiritual roles. Amen. Women have something to do wives have something to do in terms of before God in terms of that responsibility that is different than what men have to do we're not talking about equality here that's off the table that's we that 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 we we dealt with that already we already know that God has has already assumed that now we're just talking about the responsibility and the roles that we have to play in order to get the job done and what is the job to give him glory 
to glorify him in everything we do. If that is the purpose, it will work out. It's supposed to be that way. Amen. But if you start out with a different kind of purpose, you'll have a different result. Now, I'll tell you, talking about a different purpose. Brother Tony. As we talked about last night at the couples ministry, brother Tony makes jerk chicken. Uh, yeah, really. He has, he, he has, he has two recipes. One, the purpose is to serve something that's pleasing, that can be enjoyed, that you'll say, brother Tony, that's, that's, that's wonderful, wonderful jerk chicken. He has another jerk chicken recipe where the design is to obliterate your insides and have you sweating and, and snotting and having all kinds of problems all through the night. He does it on purpose. When he serves that jerk chicken, he giggles. He giggles a little bit. He said, is, is it too hot? Is it, is it too hot? Oh, I, I didn't know I made it that hot. Yes, he did. He always knows when he makes it too hot. That's the purpose. And if you have the wrong purpose and you forget what the purposes of God are, then you, but if you ask that chef, what was the purpose? The purpose is to make you uncomfortable so that you don't enjoy it and that you crave the other recipe. He only serves the really hot to people he's trying to punish. Which is why he always serves it to me. I just had to throw that. It's, it was just so relevant and timely, but it's the innocence with which he tries to pretend. He knows that's, he knows that's too hot for human consumption, but he's just trying to see what the tolerance is. He likes to play those kind of games that we don't, we don't need those kind of recipes being served up. That would be like it being too salty. When I tell you, you know, it's too salty and you just push back. That's what, that's the, that's the purpose of brother Tony's jerk chicken. His, his second batch, the batch that's on the side. Now the batch that he'll serve at church when we, so don't be scared. He will serve. You just have to ask though, is this the jerk chicken that I'm supposed to enjoy? And then he'll say, yes, that's it. Is this the jerk chicken that, that, that you're paying me back for all of the things I've said since I've been on the mic? He's like, yeah, that's, that's, that pan is, that's for pastor right there. So that's the last thing. Accountability. We got responsibility, but last but not least, there's accountability. There exists accountability between each spouse and between the couple and God. I love John 5 and 19 when Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does. That's what I do. He says, I have a job to do and I will have to be accountable to him for it. I came because I was the one in the Trinity that was sent to come into human form, to humble myself and to, even though I knew equality was not something to be grasped, it says in Philippians chapter two, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became what? Obedient unto death, even the death on the cross that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. He said, I need, we need, we need somebody to do a job here. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll take on human flesh. I'll be the one that is on the cross. He who became, he who knew no sin, 
became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he was accountable to himself as a member of the Trinity to be able to do that. You have the same accountability in your relationships. These seven ingredients are basic and they're key. And if we mix them all together the way we're supposed to with a liberal, liberal dose of charity and we have responsibility and accountability and we emphasize unity and authority and priority and equality, we will be able to serve up a marriage dish that at the end of the day, God will say that tastes And then when people see your marriage, it's like tasting your cake. And I'm like, ooh, you put your foot in that. You want a piece of this? Yeah, I do. That's a great example. That's a great picture of Christ in the church. That's a great spiritual reflection. We want to be able to serve up something not that makes people uncomfortable, not that has people in the bathroom all night. I digress not to have people in the bathroom all night, but serving up something that can say that was enjoyable and you put your foot in that. And if we have marriages that people say we put our foot in, it's only because we have done and put in the ingredients that God requires because those are his ingredients because it's his institution is his way and his way is the only way. It's only one way. And that's God's way. Thank you.